Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, ArmorAll, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on ArmorAll products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at ArmorAll.com. ArmorAll, less work, more clean. Terms apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18+. plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. It's the Autosport Podcast. We look at the new cars from Red Bull, Mercedes and Ferrari and ask what's behind Alfa Romeo's dramatic front wing. Launch season is well underway, and in the past few days we've seen cars from Formula 1's big guns, Mercedes, Ferrari and Red Bull, as well as from sleeping giant McLaren. Plus we've seen a little from Alfa Romeo and Williams, so plenty to talk about. I'm your host, Ed Straw, and joining me first to take a look at these latest cars to break cover first is Ben Anderson. Now you were at McLaren's base yesterday for their launch, getting your first taste of launch season. How was it? Yeah, it was interesting. Uh, Got to see the Sleeping Giant unveil uh, its car for 2019. Um, They did a neat thing with um, a circle of McLaren employees around the car as it was unveiled. And you had uh, a guy, Barry, who'd been there for 36 seasons and recalled the the era of Senna and Prost firsthand, right up to young graduates of the McLaren graduate scheme, apprentices, basically, who've only been at the team for six months. It was nice to showcase the kind of range of uh, ages and people who've put all their man hours and hard work into this into this car over the winter. I thought you were going to say they built a circle around it, sort of circling wagons, waiting for the assembled media to... Yeah, well, we, we were, yeah, well, we were we were encircling them in the uh, the bunker at the corner of MTC, um, 
with the computer screens. Um, it's quite quite interesting. It recalls um, a film Doctor Strangelove, actually. <laughs> I mean, kind of mission control, but nobody pushed the button, fortunately. And I, I got to sample some of the uh, new Husky uh, hot chocolate as well, which was very tasty. Did anyone say, gentlemen, you can't fight in here? This is the McLaren War Room. <laughs> no, <laughs> which they had done. <laughs> one of my favourite lines in cinema, that, that, that one from Peter Sellers. And Missed opportunity. Yeah, exactly. Well, uh, also joining me is technical specialist Jake Boxer-Legg. Now, you've been run ragged over the past few days writing and talking about the new cars. How are you enjoying your new status as a video superstar through your work on Motorsport TV and YouTube and your growing insistence on doing everything? <laughs> I met a fan yesterday at McLaren. Actually, I was at the launch with Ben as well. A fan of you? Uh, well, a fan of the a fan of the YouTube and motorsport TV goings on. Uh, I tried to introduce myself, and he said, oh, "I know exactly who you are." And then, uh, can you went... sign my chest for me? Well, no? uh, I don't know about that, but <laughs> but then I interviewed Carlos Sainz, and uh, yeah, he's uh, he's a big fan. Well, there we go. So you're making a, a massive impact. You're you're what we call in the in the business talent. Uh, I disagree. Well, you were the <laughs> one who's demanding your own dressing room and all sorts of uh, all sorts of demands. Complicated riders. I'll take what I'm given. <laughs> <laughs> you're going to have to. You're going to have to. Certainly when it comes to the old sport podcast. Anyway, well, let's let's put you to work straight away, JBL, and look at Ferrari, which launched on Friday morning, an event that was streamed online. What do you make of the Ferrari SF90? Well, it's quite. Strange, really. It's quite simple, almost. Um, remember, this is going to be the car that's going to be challenging Mercedes throughout the year. And um, over the last couple of seasons, Mercedes have just beaten them every single time, no matter what Ferrari's thrown at it. So this has to be the car that beats it. But it almost looks quite simple from the launch shots that we've been given. It's a continuation of the ethos from the last couple of seasons, just updated for the new regulations. Um, starting with that front wing, it's very very interesting design in the and it was almost like the Renault that we discussed on Tuesday um, as the wing sort of sweeps towards the end plates it sweeps downwards in a sort of anhedral kind of shape and we know that the teams have lost a lot of outwash potential through the regulations that's what they've been designed to do so Ferrari trying to claw some of that back perhaps at the expense of downforce either side of the wing but ultimately the gains further down the car are much greater than you could just pull downforce out of the front wing. So obviously they're trying to do that as much as humanely possible. Um, the side pods are a lot tighter. The engine cover in particular, Matteo Bonotto in the launch this morning was incredibly effusive about that. He was really, really happy with the work that Ferrari had done with packaging their powertrain and other such components as He's well. excited about the roll hoop as well. Yeah, absolutely. It's a triangular shape, which is not something we've seen in a very long time. Uh, it reminds me of the, I think it's the 2000 Jordan, uh, first and foremost, really. But that means that they've got more of the, what was the shark fin, and it's now probably just a fin to play with and managing the flow to the rear wing. So it looks like a big step forward, but at the same time, they've managed to be sort of elegant in its simplicity almost so it depends on whether we're going to get to testing and they're going to come with more components that cluster it up a bit more or maybe they've just got a really good baseline to work from what do you make of the the barge board area because when these higher downforce regulations although the front wing regulations have changed for this year specifically were first introduced that was one area where ferrari innovated and kind of led the way to start with do you still see them kind of leading the way on certain specific aero parts or other teams now kind of setting the trend well the barge boards on the ferrari are quite simplistic in what we've seen there's not we've seen 
cars with big serrations and that kind of section along the top edge just pulling airflow down and ferrari don't have that so much they've got a few little flow conditioners along the the bottom face that's just trying to pull airflow around the side pod as usual but i think what we can see from this is they're maybe hiding a little bit in that area um playing the game yeah a little bit of playing the game definitely it's the first thing that strikes you actually when you look at the car that area is a bit undercooked yeah, definitely. Uh, and we, we've seen this from Red Bull over the last couple of seasons. But um, Well, with their livery as well. They like to now launch in these kind of one-off liveries that make it even harder to spot <laughs> what's going on on the car. Exactly. Um, so, yeah, I think when we only when we get to Barcelona, we're going to see what the Ferrari's actually going to look like. Um, but, yeah, no, definitely playing the game for sure. I guess the shorthand is it's... Uh, Mattia Bonotto tried to suggest it was a kind of aggressive approach within the fact that it's an evolution of a concept if you if you see what i mean that's that seems to be the approach and the car does look like that so you know it's it's difficult you don't get new cars that have thousands of different massive differences from the from the year before so it's always uh very hard to tell because people want to see something spectacular and new but but i mean it, that packaging side of things is, is interesting it does look it does look tidied up uh, ben i mean in general terms it's a slightly new look ferrari with Matty Bonotto now the the team principal, not just the technical director as he was before. I say just the technical director, one of the most important jobs <laughs> on, the, on the team. Easy, easy. Uh, so, do you th- do you think Ferrari has regrouped after a season last year that promised so much but fell apart? Well, the proof of the pudding, as they say, will be in the eating. I mean, we won't know that until we've had a few races to watch Ferrari in action under pressure. Um, it's interesting to hear. Bonotto's comments about being as aggressive as they can but as you say within evolving the car the the danger with Ferrari in the past is that they've tended to overreach when they've been on the precipice of doing something great Um, it happened with the the 2016 car um, after they made uh, a lot of progress with the engine in 2015 and started to harry Mercedes in a few races and they came unstuck Bonotto seems to have quite a sensible approach he's he's been involved in a lot of the the really good things for I've done in the technical department since that awful season in 2014 so you'd like to think that he's he's going to stay feet on the ground not try too hard um hopefully the team will be calm um the crucial thing will be whether they make better decisions under pressure make the right strategic calls and and give Sebastian Vettel crucially the environment in which he can flourish and maintain his consistency in the fight against Lewis Hamilton especially when Lewis inevitably gets stronger in the second half of the season it's a great irony with Ferrari isn't it we've got this new car here but actually it's away from the car that's a concern the car last year was plenty good enough to win the championship they hadn't lost so many points they could well have well have done it yeah so well but not so we're, we're kind of taking for granted that this car will be at a, a level to compete with Mercedes at least. Yeah, well, provided they haven't done anything really silly with their calculations on the, the front wing, they they should be right there. The car was good enough. Okay, they, they lost their way a little bit from kind of Singapore onwards with the development, I think, on the floor that didn't work. They took that off. You know, they, they didn't just persist with the folly. They they realised the error of their ways. And Arriva Bene said, even in an environment that maybe wasn't the best working environment under him, uh, he said, we've got everything we need to win. We just need to deal with the pressure better. And now he's been removed. If Bonotto is the right temperament, the right personality to lead that group, then everything should come together. And it'll just be a case of, well, hopefully watching uh, a really fantastic battle between two brilliant teams and two of F1's best drivers. 
talking about a fantastic battle between uh, two great teams. Let's move on to Mercedes, the logical place to go, Ben. I mean, the car was revealed on Wednesday. Lewis Hamilton was very positive after driving it for the, for the first time, the W10. Uh, as a fil- filming day, it's at as on a filming day at Silverstone. There's no sign that Mercedes is going to relinquish its place at the front, really, from that, is it? It looks like a similar thing to Ferrari, really. They've tried to be aggressive with what they've done, but, you know, everything looks normal for Mercedes, which is excellence, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, you know, Mercedes' weaknesses are, are getting ever harder to find, aren't they? Ever harder to pinpoint and destroy. Um, but the big thing for them is rear tyre management. Um, that was a problem that they slowly got on top of, and with things changing, I mean, Jay Bear will will explain much better. You know the effect of the front wing changes on the the aerodynamic flow around the rest of the car, and the concern for Mercedes will be if they've got their numbers wrong at the front, how that affects everything at the rear, and whether these problems that have has been in the kind of lineage of Mercedes cars, even going back to before the hybrid era, whether they return and they they start to struggle, particularly in the the hotter races. Um, but everything else you'd expect to be on point. Um, they always do a phenomenal job with the the engine, Andy Cowell's department, they, they're always chasing all these infinitesimal marginal gains on all the different systems, hybrid, combustion engine, and the packaging on the, the Mercedes engine always seems to impress more than any other team. They get things so tight with the cooling and the, the engine cover to help unlock more aerodynamic potential, and uh, it looks like they've done the same thing again this year. So you'd expect them to set the standard, but Ferrari to be you know, right there um, from the start as well. It's interesting, from what Andy Carroll said, they have been fairly aggressive with the engine as well in terms of the changes they've made to it. It's not a, a pure evolution. It is an evolution of the old one, but it, they've they've not been afraid to make a few changes to kind of raise the ceiling of the potential because they've been... Well, they need doing, to, don't they? they? Do a great a great job to extract what they can from it, but you always need to sometimes rearrange things just to, to unlock that next percent of performance. Percentage. Yeah, well, you know, they need to because Ferrari are putting them under great pressure now. And of course, um, you know, the only part of... Last season, Mercedes was saying, we don't have the best engine in Formula, any- Formula 1 anymore. And, of course, they would say that. They they want to deflect attention from themselves. But there's no doubt that Ferrari has caught up to a uh, a large degree. And it's it's not the case now that at every race weekend, Mercedes has a power advantage. There's some tracks where it looks like they don't, and they have to make more of a trade-off with the amount of aerodynamic downforce they run and the drag penalty that it carries. So... Mercedes will have known over the winter we need to work hard. We need to, to to find even more from what has been the class-leading engine package. Well, let's have a look at the car in more detail, JBL. James Allison, the technical director of Mercedes, he said it's about executing the same concept as its predecessors, but he also talked about it being further refined, pushing every item to the limit. So it's all about the the aggregation of marginal gains of a, a working a working car, if you like. They, they know the package fundamentally works, and if they can do that, in harness with improving the engine a bit and the rear tyre management problem being uh, being tackled, that should add up to a good step. So what do you see on the car? Well, first and foremost, like uh, we can see that the wheelbase is very much comparable in size to what it was before in the last two cars. Same kind of rake ethos in that they're not using it too much because they've got this long wheelbase where they can just extract the maximum throughout the length of the car. Well, James Allison's always been very clear on that about the high rate gets talked about because it's so visible on some other cars but yeah it's not just you high rate the car and suddenly it's all magic you have to there is a lot of knock-on effects from doing that so that's positive you would say they're able to stick with a similar kind of platform yeah definitely and especially on a long wheelbase car as well you don't want to run too much rake or otherwise you're going to risk having 
a massive amount of detachment at the bottom of the floor and then suddenly your diffuser's not working. So it's something that teams have to carefully manage and Mercedes have just done this to perfection over the last couple of years. I mean, from a technical standpoint, they have just essentially, they're so confident with what they've got that they've walked out off the bat and said, okay, this is our car. Look how complicated the barge boards are. Look how tight the packaging is. Look at our front wing. We've come up with a very different design and front wing. So they're incredibly confident. And as I say, um, what's really strange about this front wing is that the end plate's in wash in. And that seems really counterproductive, uh, especially compared to what everybody else is doing, trying to claw as much out, uh, outwash as possible. And Mercedes just looking wryly onwards at everybody else and thinking, yeah, well, we've got this particular concept. And what I think they're doing is somehow just allowing all of this airflow to just compress up and then spill out uh, with greater energy around the front tyres. And then that's being picked up by this very intricate bargeboard section with a lot of cutouts, a lot of serrations, there's a lot of different elements that are just carefully managing this airflow. They have incredibly tight side pods. The rear wing is an evolution of last year's. Um, they're able to use the cutout section, which they used to great effect last year. So all in all, this just looks like a really tight package. It looks great. The new livery is quite fantastic um difficult to copy as well do you think that some of the confidence is that is born out of having these like as you say slightly unusual concepts on the car but if they all work together it might, might be quite hard for their rivals to react to all of that in one go absolutely because they they're going along their own path compared to everybody else i mean i think every other car on the grid has these very high mounted side pod inlets and mercedes have just they tried something similar to that with their Austria package last year and they said, well, it's not really for us. We're going to go down our own way. Um, and as you say, people are going to find it very difficult to copy that because this is something that their car is ingrained in their design of the car. Mm. And so someone else can't just tack it on and expect some performance to come out of it. So, Which goes back to the rake thing as well because if Ferrari and Red Bull, which let's face it are going to be their main rivals that have gone down the higher rake route, their concepts are going to be so fundamentally different. They can't just go down this other path straight away, which means I guess Mercedes can go to testing confident that they can crack on with proper work from the, the word go rather than worrying about hiding some of their better ideas from rivals who might have similar concepts. Well, the bottom line is that the aerodynamics of a Formula 1 car, all it is really is it's an interconnected map of variable pressure and vortices and the back of the car aero-wise can affect the front. It's not it's not all completely linear. You hit the front wing. I mean, that's part of it, but it, it's it's three dimensional. So that when you see things that you can look at something, and JBL can say, "Well, that's doing that," but you also have to allow for what the what's well, going on with the airflow else. off yeah. the car. Things that are, things that teams can model and visible. So it's always interesting when you see something like the the geometry of the of the end plates. You look at that, and because it's Mercedes, you think, "Yeah, you're, you've probably got a very good reason for doing that. You're, you're onto something there." Yeah, definitely. I mean, it's not like uh, I think I've mentioned this story before, but in 2009, when I think eight out of the 10 teams turned up with, they'd cracked the new front wing rules, turned out with uh, outwash end plates and gone, okay, we can derive a bit of performance here. But then we had McLaren and we had Renault and both of their technical directors were involved with the overtaking working group rules at the time. And they'd come in with something that was in the spirit of what they'd come up with for everybody else. And then they looked around and they're like, oh, okay, we've got this a little bit wrong here. So they Max were Simmons talks about exactly that on a recent podcast. Exactly. And so they were 
really behind the eight ball at that particular point and then had to quickly rush out some outwash end plates in time for the Australian Grand Prix. So, but I don't think Mercedes have done that at all because this is a conscious decision to go the other way. So clearly they found something that really works for them. Let's have a look at, at Red Bull now. Uh, JBL, the key to Red Bull's success, it will be Honda because we assume the team will continue to be very strong aero-wise as it was last year and we know it's operationally still very, very strong on, on race day in terms of getting the best out of the car. RB15, it's the first Honda engine car from Red Bull. It seems in keeping with the, the Adrian Newey influence, the aggressive packaging, if you look at the side pods, just like last year, it's, it's quite it's quite aggressive, which is encouraging from a from a Honda cooling characteristics perspective. So, yeah, give us a tour of the car. Well, definitely. I'll, I'll start on that note of cooling and packaging, um, especially because that was something that when McLaren started its relationship with Honda, that was something they wanted with the size zero concept. And they said to Honda, okay, we want to have this kind of packaging. Do the same with your engine. And it just didn't play off for either of them. And now Red Bull appear to have some kind of packaging that close to what McLaren wanted, but they've actually got it for real this time. And the side pod inlets are just so tiny as well. I mean, they're high up, but it's like the size of a letterbox. So, so small. And it's just... I'm, I'm barely convinced that it even has side pods, to be honest with you. It's so <laughs> tightly packaged. Um, I think the front wing is a little bit of a red herring at this point. We've seen over the last couple of days more extreme concepts, and I'm convinced that they'll come come up with something a little bit more extreme. The sister Toro Rosso outfit has come up with something in its shakedown compared to uh, what it launched with, so I'm convinced Rebel will do the same. Uh, they've come up with this very weird S-duct concept as well. The rest of the front end seems pretty similar to what it's run over the last couple of years, but they've got this S-duct which has a fin over the top of it. So my understanding is the S-duct is taking it, what might be high-pressure air from under the nose, putting it over the top side of the car just to ensure that it's bleeding off some high pressure from the underside, improving the downforce, also improving the flow attachment over the front bulkhead. And then there's this fin that's just straightening out the air over the top of it. So it's just sort of keeping it nice and laminar and linear. Um, the barge boards, uh, they've got quite a lot of serrations over the top. And as I mentioned before, that's just ensuring that effort is managed around the, the side pods. So yeah, this seems to be, again, a continuation of an, an evolution of what they've run over the last few years, adapted for the new Honda power plant and adapted for the new regulations as well. I think it's easier to stick rather than twist with your concept because then when you're developing the new front wing, you know what performance you used to have from the rest of the car, and so you adapt your front wing in order to sort of bring that back rather than go with something completely new. And it's logical as well for teams to take an evolutionary approach unless your concept is wrong. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> you, why why would you need and to? Well, Red Bull has been it? really strong, hasn't it? I mean, I think you wrote Ed that they basically finished last season with probably the strongest car from a chassis point of view. Certainly in terms of tire management, there was there's a lot of mm. positives about the Red Bull program setting the engine aside. So you definitely don't want to be reinventing the wheel if you're that team. And ultimately, the big question is Honda, isn't it? Yeah. Last year, Honda in the back of the tour also had to prove it was on a par with or superior to or close to the Renault engine and it did that great however Renault is clearly a step behind or was or has been throughout the the hybrid era a step behind 
Mercedes and, and Ferrari. So that's the real question, isn't it? We can look at the car the and say behind. <laughs> well, exactly. Yeah, we can we can look at the car and say, well, clearly, unless something's gone badly wrong in terms of calculations, if they can package the car like they have, the cooling characteristics, etc., are good. But th- does it have the the performance to propel a car that aerodynamically might well be up there with the best of them to to regular victories? Yeah, that's, that's the big challenge. I mean, the, I mean, the first challenge for Red Bull is just to to prove that you know everything cools effectively and they haven't engineered in some horrible disaster. I imagine there will be a few nervous moments on the first morning when they run. As you mentioned, the packaging is super tight, as you'd expect from Red Bull. That's what that's what Adrian Newey does. That's his genius, isn't it? It's a, they need to try and avoid having a repeat of Bahrain 2014. I think we both stood outside that garage when we had the door down. You could just hear grinding you hear and the soaring, grinding, yeah, the soaring. Uh, <laughs> they go out for a lap, blow up. <laughs> and and that, is a, that is a risk, isn't it, when you put a, a new or different engine concept into a car that hasn't run it before and you know that the you know your chief designer is a or your main aero guy is, a, is super aggressive on that side of things um they'll have to hope that the learning honda has done since that ill-fated size zero uh foray with mclaren has has been enough that they can now produce a, a neat engine package that isn't so susceptible to overheating and the uh the cooling demands and if if so as you'd imagine is the case then they'll be fine and it'll just be a case of um unlocking whatever performance honda's managed to to find over the winter i don't imagine it will be a massive leap from last year honda are talking about you know evolving the same concept again basically the same architecture they've had since 17 not trying to do too much so it will just be a case of refining bits and and I imagine trying to build in reliability because I know a, a, it is a lot, a lot of their, I know a lot of their um, you know, engine penalties that Torosso had last season were tactical and due to extra development being thrown forward as a kind of test bed. But nevertheless, they haven't had a situation where they've proved that their engines can last a requisite number of races to get through the season without any grid penalties. Um, and that is a big, big question for for red bull at least they're used to it with the with the renault package ultimately for red bull and honda this year i think if if they can be at the level that red bull renault was at which means a season where they can snipe for the occasional victory where maybe there's a few more retirements than there should be i I think if if you if you were to offer them the same set of results they had last year wouldn't be delighted with the reliability but they think actually that's that's a pretty pretty decent base to to build from so I, I think th- I think that's what you'd expect from Red Bull isn't it I, I expect from Red Bull Honda pretty much what Red Bull achieved with Renault last season a few wins third in the championship Christian Horner's probably saying you know already we'll be in contention a bit in a few more races than we were last year but then he was always saying that every year with the Renault package I oh, will get a bit closer we'll have a few more chances but I think as a base you know they, they've made a calculated gamble that they're going to be no worse off than they were with Renault so you'd expect that that base level of performance is achieved with the Honda package. And if it's not, if it's much worse, either on performance or on reliability or both, then there's trouble that has to be uh, tackled. It could go either way, couldn't it? It's, it's interesting because we all want it to go well. We want but we all wanted McLaren Honda to go well, well didn't exactly, we? yeah. they, I mean, they tried and tried and tried and in, in the end it blew up spectacularly. I suppose the one difference is that we can say that McLaren chassis-wise were not where they thought they were. That was proved emphatically last year. They've admitted they let Honda become the the thing to blame for everything. And we know Red Bull, certainly based on 2018, still is right up there in terms of 
the chassis development the aero and that but that's then more pressure on honda isn't it because there is nowhere to hide now for honda the red bull car we, we know will be good enough provided they haven't you know done anything horrendously incorrect will be right up there so it's a different kind of pressure for honda to have to deal with i think this season it kind of dep- i think it kind of depends on how willing red bull are to work with honda we know that during the time with Renault, especially a few times last year as well, um, they had a lot of problems with their engine uh, or associated power unit componentry. And in comparison, the Renault Works team and McLaren didn't so much. And that a lot of that seems to be down to how Red Bull were using the engine, how much they were pushing the car. And... I worry for Honda in that it's going to be a repeat of that and they're not going to get the chance to get some good reliability running underway. Maybe they will with Toro Rosso, for example, but um, yeah, you worry that Red Bull are just going to try and push Honda off the bat and might not necessarily get what they've been looking for. I think the, the, the big positive for Red Bull going into the new relationship is on the fuel and lubricant side. I think one of the big problems they had with the Renault package, particularly as the focus on the works team became more prominent, is that they weren't using the same fuel and lube supplier and they couldn't they couldn't get the time on the dyno they needed to get the mobile fuel in the Renault engine. You have differences in terms of cooling and mapping strategies, ignition, all of that kind of stuff related to what your fuel is doing. With Honda, they will work they will work with mobile it will be the red bull fuel there'll be no divergence between one program and the other and i know red bull felt that they were suffering from not having the same fuel as renault in this case it won't that won't be a problem for them so that should improve things like cooling and reliability and hopefully that will be a virtuous circle that they can they can exploit i think it all comes down to how the the relationship works as well because you can push for aggressive packaging and that kind of thing but you've also got to allow some give and take one of the benefits that Honda had last year was they did slightly elongate the engine block, which Toro Rosso allowed them to do only by a nice and like fifteen millimeters or something like that. But it did make a difference, and I think the the danger is did that give it more stability in the car because they had some problems with vibrations uh, and the light was made with the, their well, it was one of concept. the areas, yeah. yeah. And certainly, they felt improved reliability, and I, I think you've got you can. It's all well and good because every part, every department, or every every individual will have a specific area they'd like not to be interfered with. So it's like, well, if I'm doing my bit, it needs to be like that. But obviously your bit is competing for space with all the other bits. So it's a it's a fine balancing act. And I do think that Adrian Newey has got rightly got a reputation for being very aggressive on this. In the past, he has been over-aggressive. But I think over time, he's got on top of that. And, you know, he managed to package a driver like Mark Webber in the car. Effectively, and Mark, Mark's a tall guy. And that they were able to do that, whereas, you know, you look back in the Leighton House days when basically drivers could barely fit a seat in there. That's normal-sized drivers like Ivan Capelli, for example, who wasn't anywhere near as tall, tall as that. So I think Newey has learned in, in that regard. So it's it's about the relationship, isn't it? it the, the, it's, it's making the push and pull that's inevitable of this work in a constructive way, whereas I get the feeling with the McLaren size zero, it's like, right, this is what you do, we want this, make it for that. And then Honda did their best to make it work. But didn't have the confidence to push back, exactly, did they? Because yeah, exactly. they were new and they had so many other bigger problems to solve. Yeah, and exactly. I guess that's the exciting thing, really. Honda is a lot more mature now. And Red Bull, for the first time, really are going to be a proper works team, effectively. I know they had a 
quasi works relationship with Renault before they came back as a manufacturer team. But nevertheless, it's in this era, it's the closest that Rebel have come. Honda are on the up. So it could be if it it's all lifts and butts, but if they do get it together, it would be great for Formula One to see them properly in the mix with Mercedes and Ferrari. That's what we, we hope for at this uh, this stage of the season where there's so much still to be unwritten. Definitely. And I think the relationship between Rebel and Honda should be sensible because people understandably point to the problems they had with Renault with Red Bull complaining about, about the Renault engine. There was an ongoing war of words over a lengthy period of time. But we should say that Red Bull was a customer. It was paying for their engine package. They were paying over £20 million a year. Honda's very different. It's not a customer deal. So when you do have a works partnership, you have to be a little bit more responsible, shall we say. So I, I don't think, you know, people like Christian Horner and Adrian Newey, they're not idiots, are they? They they know what they're saying and why they're saying it. And I think we will see, even if there's Honda problems early on, I think we'll see a lot more patience in, in the communication from the from the, the Red Bull side. And, maybe and from I, Max too? I think Max will... Uh, he will. He will try to. I think you know Max is not. You know he is. A, he is a young man in a hurry. He wants to win that world championship, but he also knows that he's got to be a little bit patient with the with the Honda side of things. But I think what will make it all work, even if there's unreliability, if there's performance, if the performance is there, that'll be okay. If the engine's blowing up while they're running around in fifteenth, that'll be bad. If it's doing well, they're leading. Yeah, they're not going to like it, but at least it's like well. Yeah, we're in the right direction there. So, uh, yeah, it's, it's going to be a fascinating story and great for F1 if they can get themselves into a, into a position to do well. And it would be great to have Honda winning again as well. And uh, Yeah, fantastic. I think I think Red Bull Honda will win a race this year. Yeah, I'd agree with that, yeah. Maybe more than one, but I think... And that would be a big deal, Honda Honda winning again. So, uh, yeah, let, let's hope. And it could all fall apart. That's, uh, well, well, we've cursed it now, haven't we? Well, exactly, we've yeah, declared yeah. it's going to happen. So. The, the sorry, sorry, Red Bull Honda. Podcast, <laughs> podcasters curse. Well, let's move on to uh, on to McLaren, a team we probably can't curse, given the, the starting point <laughs> where they were uh, last year. Now, Ben, as we said, well, in fact, both of you were at the, the McLaren launch. There was a very clear message of managing expectations. So there's a lesson from the past that's been learned, keeping a lid on the excitement. So from what, what you saw, what shape is McLaren in heading into 2019? What should we expect from McLaren? I know it's not, I know it's not being the McLaren of old and winning races. No. Um Try not to expect too much, I think. I get the sense that they're trying not to expect too much. I mean, all teams, especially at this time of year when they haven't had the chance yet to prove themselves against their competitors, will be hoping for the best and thinking that, you know, this will be the year that things get much better. They'll find this, that, the other performance and achieve this great result. But new driver, Carlos Sainz Jr., he he spoke about coming in and this being a, a... what he termed a mid-term project. I've got two years to to get on top of this. So he's already not really thinking about this year. He's saying, "Oh, the team's gonna, you know, take it easy with our expectations and our and and our approach and look more at the long game." I think that's the the lesson of humility they've learned from last year's chastening experience. I mean, they whatever you say about them overestimating the strength of their chassis, which undoubtedly happened by the end of 17 they were convinced they had a a decent car probably the fourth best and Mexico Q1 I think Alonso I mean he you know uh, declared it the best chassis but he had a very strong performance at that track in that session and Alonso would never disclose something the best best, absolutely objectively was (laughs) best ever but you know they they had enough to go on they felt that the car was a, a really strong base and they felt once 
once they got over the inevitable teething problems of putting a, a different engine in the car again, this in this case the Renault customer engine, that they really they were, they were looking at the first kind of half of last season as right. Let's get that sorted out because we're not going to have everything right. It was a late decision. You have to make some compromises to get the engine in the car. Then it's going to have knock-on effects on cooling and mapping and all this stuff. And they thought, but we as long as long as we bank pretty much the same relative level of performance in the chassis, we'll be we'll be fine. We'll do okay. But they they engineered engineered in some extra problems and suddenly found they were nowhere. Um, so I guess they've realised now that the error of their ways, if you like, that they haven't got this one thing banked and they need to kind of attack that. But the um, big concern for them is one of the problems last year was they weren't great at controlling front wheel wake and the performance of the car when they were steering lock-on and that kind of thing. And then, of course, they're going into this season with big changes to the front wing, certainly significant changes to the front wing and the way you're trying to manage the outwash, etc. So that's perhaps not an area they're especially happy about having to adapt to because that just creates an extra disruptive force in an area where mclaren last year they knew they had to improve on yeah i guess it depends on the reasons why you messed that up i get the feeling from mclaren that they they know it's one fundamental flaw in their basic procedure that meant they got that wrong and by the time they realized what they'd done wrong they couldn't engineer it out with developments so changing the front wing regulations in a way offers them an opportunity if they're right in their analysis because they can just throw that all out and start again from scratch Uh, and the other thing of course is that knowing how poor last year's car performance was i think by the summer zach brown was saying it's got less downforce than last year's car they'll have thrown all of that out in terms of development work they'd have been focused on these regulations from a very early point and one of the messages that were coming out of the launch is they're better prepared than they have been um in past seasons for this one i guess there's a legacy of going right you know 2018 is basically a write-off alonso's got us sixth in the points we can bank that Let's focus on getting this car absolutely right. They're not shouting about it, but you get the sense that if they've done their sums correctly, this will at least be a, a year where, you know, one year further into the Renault partnership, a bit more knowledge on that side, how those two organisations work together. They'll unlock a little bit more performance from the engine and the chassis side and at least give themselves a stable basis from which to go fearlessly forward, as they like to claim is their new uh, their new mantra. What do you make of it, JBL? You were going fearlessly forward and doing a, doing some video work with the car while being heckled by Carlos Sainz Jr. by the sounds of it. So you've had a good look at the car. You, I saw you prodding the car, so you've uh, literally got your hands on it. So uh, give us give us your rundown. Sure. So um, there is are differences between what was launched in the render and what was actually at Woking, which is quite nice to see. It's a much more developed and refined version. Um, I assume it's still relatively launch spec but they'll bring something similar to that in testing um like renault like ferrari they've gone with a front wing that's a little bit more squashed in towards the end plate and again that's just another way of managing that flow around the front uh tires just to try and claw back that outwash they've gone with the net front nose it's very similar to what they ended last season with is that different to the rear nose <laughs> yes indeed uh we did get to go and see, we did get to see the rear nose for the first time uh this season but front nose is one of those phrases that uh, gets to me the i had to pick you up on it <laughs> i'm gonna say it again just to i want to know you. about the rear nose now oh we'll get to that in a bit okay hey, just I'm wait just till gonna... he gets onto the side nose <laughs> i'm gonna say front oh, nose wait. again just to annoy ed um 
but yeah, it's a similar ethos to last year, and that has the three sort of apertures, if you like, that just trying to get as much flow underneath the floor as possible, but also try and manage it in a way that isn't too disruptive and not too free form either. Um, the chassis bulkhead, because um, obviously the nose sort of comes in at the point at which it's mounted, it's a lot more smoothly done this year, the transition from nose to bulkhead. So they've done a lot of work on, you know, just tightening up the car, especially when you look at the side pods as well. They're on, you know, they're challenging Red Bull for smaller side pods of the year, really. Um, it's very, very tightly packaged. So that suggests that Renault have done quite a lot of work in that department. Um, barge boards were very sort of complex and they had a big sort of boomerang shape around the, that just looped around behind the, the front wheel. And that is just essentially more ammunition to just get that flow, that work, that flow around the car with all of the other associated barge board components as well. It's, it was very aggressively developed and I assume that it's going to be even more so when we get to, when we get to testing. Um, the rear as well, we got to saw, see a little bit of uh, diffuser work as well. Um, whether or not that's going to be what they have on the car come Barcelona, I don't know, but they were trying to hide some of it. Uh, or whether, I don't know whether they were just trying to pretend they were hiding something. Uh, Double bluff. <laughs> exactly. This is uh, Formula One after all. They were uh, hiding the rear nose, weren't they? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's what they want, they want to know about. Maybe, secret web. maybe that's it. But um, what I did see was you know, it's got all the tiny little tiny little fins around the sort of the extremes of the diffuser just to try and ensure that all the flow over the top of the floor is just stays as attached as possible, especially at the final the the conclusion of the top the of the floor. And then there's strakes underneath the diffuser, which is very, very normal. That just essentially creates a vortex and promotes more of a suction point so when air is being drawn out of the diffuser it's just essentially using more of it and those strakes were sort of cut up into smaller strakes so that sort of suggests a very extreme way of looking at it but yeah it was really fantastic to see the car in the flesh for once um what does concern me is i spoke to lando norris uh at some point during the launch um and he suggested that McLaren's not got all of its downforce back. I don't know what the situation is for other teams. That seems to be the main focus over the off-season is not to get more downforce, but to get what they'd lost back. And he suggested they haven't got it all back. Um, they didn't have much to start with, so that's, that's particularly worrying. worrying isn't so, it? There, yeah. are, there are certainly some teams that privately think they've pretty much got it back. Yeah, so that was a little bit of a worry, and I don't. It would be nice to just, you know, f- two fresh drivers renewed sort of not relationship as such but a year with Renault uh, so they've had a year to sort of develop and work out what the engine's got going for it and what it doesn't so it'd just be nice to sort of see it move forward again but I just I don't know if it will um, I think they'll be a little bit better off than they started la- at the end of last year on but um, yeah I think it's still midfield for them at the moment well and also midfield it's a broad it's lower midfield for them, yeah, isn't exactly. it? Really, I mean, you know, that's they finished last season with probably the, s- the second slowest car on the grid. They certainly were fighting with Toro Rosso, weren't they? On average, it? over the season, I think their car was ninth fastest, mm. and they only got sixth in the championship through a combination of Alonso's virtuosity and the fact that Racing Point slash Force India uh, lost some points. So it's it, it's worrying. I mean, 
we talk about what McLaren needs to do this year. Basically, its car needs to work. I can live with it not having the overall peak downforce, but it needs to work, make sense. We need to see signs that development works. Basically, they just need not to be rubbish and, con- and remind mm. people or convince people that they can actually be a good Grand Prix team technically. Yeah, but they need to be scoring points regularly and not going out in Q1, don't they? Exactly, That's, yeah. And, and that is not befitting of McLaren yeah. as a team. But I think if they can at least just be, be solid, even if, you know, it, effectively they were seventh in the Constructors last year. If they do that again this year, that wouldn't necessarily be bad. You'd think, well, okay, you've, you've got some stability. Certainly if they're not relying on, on Alonso to kind of hang on to the car for those uh, those miracle performances. It depends on last how McLaren's mindset is. Like, if they see themselves still as a top team, you know... Well, there's no way they'll live like, like they kind Certainly of not in the next few years. Like they were kind of, you know, using Red Bull as their benchmark when they went to the Renault engine. Um, and they were nowhere near that. Um, but that's that's how they saw themselves. They they saw themselves prior to last season as a, a Red Bull type team that's being held back by a Honda engine. But now actually what's become apparent is they're increasingly looking like a midfield team not held back by that engine. So or maybe partly held back by that engine. So where do, where do they really sit? I don't know. I mean, there's no reason for them to be in the top half of the constructors' championship, even if they're no. doing a good job. No. So, so it, have, you know, have they really come to terms with the fact that they're a midfield team? Can they accept that and then try to work out a credible plan to move out of that bracket? And even if they can devise a credible plan, it's not easy to then actually do that. We're seeing Renault as a works team. I mean, they're still only fighting to be best of the midfield. They're not really close to escaping that and joining the top three so it's a huge journey for McLaren to get back to where they feel they really belong you say they need to show signs of development they've certainly got a science of development ah the puns are back the puns are back channeling my inner cod is there I apologize to the listeners who may have heard something I didn't want to hear in that that comment well let's move on to a few other cars we have seen the the Alfa Romeo the uh, what was the uh, Sauber team? It uh, appeared on track at Fiorano. The really interesting thing there is we're uh, obviously we'll see the car a bit more detail when it appears at testing. But the front wing yeah, was oh what God. grabbed the attention. So can you <laughs> try and? It's not the easiest thing to describe this. Uh, this it's certainly the most distinctive of all the ones we've seen. So can you just explain what it looks like and what they're trying to do, and how it fits in with the the general trends we've seen from the front wings that have been have been glimpsed to date yeah definitely well it's so off the wall that as we've just said i was at woking yesterday and suddenly i got rushed back to come and do a video about it because it's just not like anything we've ever seen before so what it seems to be almost is like they took last year's wing and then have extended it a little bit but without the flaps going all of the way to uh the end plate it actually looks like a, a chunk of the front wing in the most extreme outboard area towards the the end plate yeah. is just missing, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah, exactly. And so they've just bodged last year's wing, is that what you're saying? I'm not saying that no, at all. It's, 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 I think it's, it's, it's uh But it's exposed a lot of the front wheel. Yeah, and, exactly. And one of the reasons why outwash is important is because the wheels are very, very, very draggy. Yeah, exactly. So this is just an absolutely extreme interpretation of how to just chuck air around the front of the car. Now they can't just delete the wing from that point the regulations say that the end plate has to bound the elements the, the five elements that you're allowed so what they've opted for is just four very very small very very lightly angled elements just ahead of the front wheel just to stay within the regulations they're still using the five elements but 
they've arranged this in such a way that yeah, as I say, they're just trying to create this very, very extreme form of outwash. Um, it has had, I've looked around the internet and it's had a lot of people scratching their heads around what they're trying to do with it. So, I mean, when you say, trying to be, so just to interrupt you, the extreme outwash. Yeah. I mean, obviously, the provided they are trying to achieve that outwash effect, I can't see why they wouldn't be. Yeah. They clearly believe that the heavy lifting has been done by the five elements before the sort of cutting away comes in. Yeah. So, But so you could say, why, if they were trying to be aggressive in doing that, wouldn't they use more, more uh, <laughs> front more of the front wing by extending those those elements that's a good point but i think um what you then worry about is if you extend them the whole way then you have some kind of degree of blockage there and um by essentially opening that out and essentially making the side of the flap that they do have and the end plate do all of the work they also they've still got the the foot plate which is quite aggressive in its shaping they've still got the underside of the wing to draw airflow around and outside so they've still got all of these tools available to them but again this just seems like a very literal interpretation of what they're trying to do why would they cut out when they lose they would obviously lose front wing downforce clearly they feel like they don't need it feel like you know even though they've lost the turning vanes and the bits and pieces that were on the, the wings last year, clearly they feel they've got that back. But it's what happens further down the car uh, is is the most pertinent point of developing downforce. So clearly they think that this is the best solution for that. Well, it's fascinating. We have seen other teams. We saw Toro Rosso with a, something a little bit similar to this and even yeah. some of the other front wings we've seen have hint, started to hint at this in a much less extreme way but we do see a little bit of uh, sort of much less pronounced cutaways as it were into those those elements so that does suggest there's at least something yeah, something there and it's not just a completely off the wall bit of madness uh, it's, there's certainly merit in it um, but you know if Alfa Romeo obviously it was still Sauber when the car was being developed um they know that they can't win on the basis of well, if we try and do stuff the same as everybody else, then you know we don't have the resources in order to develop quite at the same rate as them. So they have to do something very, very different if they're going to be at the top. And you know, if Raikkonen's going to be at the front, if Giovinazzi's going to be in the front, then yeah, they know they need to just essentially throw caution to the wind and do something a little bit different. And general observations on the rest of the car. Uh, well, they've kept the split air intake um, using the sort of central uh, roll structure if you like uh, to sort of split the inlet so that um, although the engine will still get its cooling it's easier to sort of split it up for airflow to you know the MGUH and the battery and other such period uh, places as well um, the rear wing end plates the sort of strakes on the, the tr- towards the trailing edge are sort of curved in so that's a little bit more control over the, the trailing vortex that's being created by the wing. Um, yeah, there's obviously from... They're essentially spy shots, so we can't see a whole lot. And it's also in a little bit of a Valentine's Day-themed camouflage livery. So Great not- to see some good old-fashioned spy shots. <laughs> exactly. Season, though, isn't it? It's, it's brilliant to have that. Um, so there's not a massive amount you can see. And obviously, we're going to have to sort of wait until... Barcelona to see what they've actually got but yeah from initial impressions it looks very interesting indeed yeah and it could be an interesting season for for Alfa Romeo obviously Sauber last year they finished the season very strongly and and they're a credible uh, credible threat to be at the front of the, the midfield we should briefly mention Williams as well 
we saw a few images released on Friday of the, of the card. Not too much to get excited about there, but anything you can draw from that? Uh, yeah, no, it's. I don't know whether it's what they're actually going to come out with or not, uh, or whether it's just you know a very preliminary render that for Barcelona is going to be significantly more developed. But the front wing looks incredibly conventional compared to what we've seen. Um, Obviously, everything has been retooled for the new regulations, but the side pods work on a sort of similar basis as last year. The the front end is, you know, they've had the same front end for the last couple of seasons now, and it's, it looks incredibly similar. So when you look at the pictures that the Williams have released of what is allegedly the FW42, I'm a little bit worried for them. It doesn't sound like next-gen Williams does it and last year's concept did not work at all so you'd be quite concerned if they were actually going to roll out in Barcelona with a car that was largely based around that concept. Yeah you've got to give them the the benefit of the doubt they've done a lot of work on the the processes and that kind of thing that that power the decision making and design design. so with with a bit of luck you hope they're in better shape but it it is very very difficult for Williams going into this year because I always think of it in terms of you look at the performance potential of the teams and there's not many teams you can make a compelling argument that Williams should be ahead of. So no. and, they, and they've got nowhere to hide because they have, you know, one of the best engines on the grid. You know, they've had that Mercedes customer deal since the hybrid era began. So they've got no excuses there. Um, it's all on um, the chassis, basically. And they were last year's worst worst team. Um, and it's difficult to see unless this new car is an unbelievable turnaround them really changing that. No, very much so. And it's, yeah, and, uh, you know, we, we look at McLaren and Williams are the two, they're the kind of two sleeping giants, aren't they? They're not affiliated, they're not a B team or a pseudo B team or connected with, with uh, one of the big teams beyond. Obviously, they do get supplies from Renault and, and Mercedes, respectively. So it's a it's a tough time for, for both those teams. And I think it's easy to kind of condemn them for for struggling, but it's it's not 1991 anymore, is it? No, definitely not. I mean, there's so much change in how a team has to be now. Um, it's not just due to finance, but you see Haas doing well last season because they changed. They come in with a very different model to what there was before. And um, you say sleeping giants, but I think McLaren and Williams are almost sort of anachronisms in a way. Um, if I want to, I want to sort of compare it to like football management almost because you look at. Jose Mourinho, for example, he's been very, very successful with the style of football that he's played. But over the last few years, uh, we know he's been fired by Man United for not doing a particularly amazing job. Um, Everybody's saying, you know, he's sort of washed up and he's over the hill. And McLaren and Williams sort of were a little bit like that. They were so successful in the past and now they're trying to cling to that too much. And there's sort of nothing there really. And they need to change perhaps their working practices, the way they approach Formula One, if they're going to, you know, go back towards the front. But I don't think Williams have the resources to do that. And I don't know if, you know, McLaren are humble enough to do that. So we'll have to wait and see, really. Well, testing is going to be the time where we, we get to start to see that. On Monday, we'll be the first of four days of testing at, at Barcelona. There's a four-day gap. There's a second four-day test. And, of course, Autosport will out, be out there in, uh, in force. We'll be heading over there. We'll have... Uh, the first test, we'll have some daily podcasts with Gary Anderson, who will be out there doing his usual uh, poking around in the pit lane and watching watching trackside. So there'll be, be loads of coverage from that. And we will uh, we will have a, a testing preview podcast as well that comes out on the, on Monday morning. Uh, well, thanks very much to Ben Anderson and to Jake Boxall-Legg. We're going to let Jake go and 
rest his brain and his vocal cords, which have been uh, stretched to their limit, Ben is relaxed enough, so he, do, he doesn't need to worry too much. He, he focuses on monthly matters on F1 Racing Magazine, of course. So, uh, Exactly, exactly. And uh, But uh, yeah, do pick up a copy of F1 Racing Magazine. Ben's had a, had a good impact there. Uh, and do also check out autosport.com, all the latest news on Formula 1 and the world of motorsport, and also read our plus subscriber area for a small fee. You can read the world's best motorsport journalists. We've got in-depth analysis of all the cars we've seen properly so far, from Gary Anderson and Jake Boxall leg, and loads of content from the, the rest of the world of motorsport. Do check out, as I said, sister titles, F1 Racing Magazine, out monthly, motorsport.com, and motorsport news, out weekly. And if you fancy a flutter download the pit stop betting app and also i would say very popular this year have been our been our tech analysis videos with the aforementioned jake boxer leg who is who is now literally everywhere in the world of, uh, of motorsport coverage so if you head to motorsport.tv or to autosport youtube channel you'll be able to watch his in-depth look at the cars there as well if you haven't heard enough of him in this podcast thanks for joining us we'll be back soon with another autosport podcast Music is 6am by Trilo, written by Marcus Simmons. See soundcloud.com forward slash Trilo Music. redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. When Shopify says you can sell anywhere, oh, they mean it. Ooh, hold up. Just got a new sale, order fulfilled, and shipped. Inventory level's good. Whoa, Shopify doesn't mind if you're at sea level. Or on top of the world. Oh, you can run and grow your business anywhere. Climbing mountains is never easy, but at least Shopify gives me all the tools I need for my business to hit new beats. Whether you're selling carabiners or crop tops, start selling with Shopify today and join the platform simplifying commerce for millions of businesses worldwide. We've built the platform so you can keep climbing and grow your business to new heights. With Shopify, you really can sell to anyone from anywhere. This is Possibility, powered by Shopify. Start selling online today. Sign up for a free trial at shopify.com slash free22. Shopify.com slash free22. Shopify.com slash free22. Internet connection required. Not available on mountaintops or seafloors. Sports Social Podcast Network. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? 
a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.